We'll start today's message by reading from Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter. Last week we read um, from the first chapter and we, we read regarding Joseph, the uh, husband of Mary. And we had told you that, that even with that, there was a story that, that leads up to it. So the best way is just to, to jump into Matthew chapter 1. Verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Amminadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asha. Asha, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehom. Jehom, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shetil, Shetil, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abuhad, Abuhad, the father of Elikim, Elikim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad. Eliad, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now I'm going to ask the Lord to bless the reading of that word today, because, man, that was a lot to get through, and you're all sitting here going, why did we do that? And hopefully, if God blesses my words, that you'll see why. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about one of my favorite poets. My grandfather was a railroadman. My mom's dad was a railroadman, and he was self-educated. And one of the things that he did, he learned to play the violin and the, the harmonica, and he loved to read, and he read poetry. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was one of his favorite poets. And I think that's where I got my love for Mr. Longfellow. And his poetry is listening to my grandfather recite the poems. And I want to give you a stanza of a poem that Mr. Longfellow wrote. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Pretty dark. And when Mr. Longfellow wrote the stanza of that poem, which was called Christmas Bells, he wrote it on Christmas Day of 1863. And when he wrote that poem in 1863, Mr. Longfellow was looking back 
over the last year, or the last two years, three years of his life, they hadn't been easy. Anybody else feel that way that you're looking back at 2020 and you're like, let's just get over this. Let's just get through this and looking back and has it been that good? Let me give you a little insight as to what Mr. Longfellow went through leading up to him writing that line in poetry. In 1861, two years before writing the poem, Longfellow's second wife of 18 years was fatally burned in an accidental fire. In 1862, during the Civil War, Longfellow's oldest son, Charles, who Longfellow had tried to keep from joining the army, keeping him safe and out of this conflict, did everything he can. Longfellow's oldest son, Charles, joined the Union Army without his father's blessing and without his father's knowing. The story is that Longfellow woke one day and Charles was gone as well as his belongings and he had no idea where he had gone. It wasn't until three months later that Longfellow found out through a letter that Charles had left and joined the Union Army stating that his convictions and his, his passion and his sense of duty were so strong that he couldn't stay any longer. He apologized to his father but said, this is what I need to do. And in November of that year, Charles Longfellow was severely wounded in the Battle of Mine Run. And even though he recovered, his life would never be the same. Two years of perpetual seeming darkness, of life not planned. And where I'm going to tie this in with us right now is that this is all of us. There is not a one of us in here who has said that every page of your life story has gone exactly as you imagined writing it when you were younger. Amen? There's not a one of us in here that said, yep, this is exactly the way I had it figured out. This year is a prime example. Nobody had this the start of last year. And we had the things that we have done, the things that we've had to, to overcome, that regardless of your thoughts on the pandemic and the politics and the, and the polarization and all this stuff, this has not gone according to how we thought it was going to go. And it's been dark. Verse 17 of Matthew 1 is very powerful, and that's where I kind of want us to, to land here for a second. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. There were three groups of 14, not years, not entire generations, 14 generations, three groups of 14 generations that went from the time of Abraham to when Jesus the Messiah was born. And you have to admit that I'm reading all these names, trying to give you the impression that I know how to pronounce most of them, saying it fast. You're sitting there going, why? Why are we doing this? People often have a hard time getting through. Nobody wakes up on Christmas morning and reads Matthew 1, 1 through 16. Nobody. People have a hard time getting through the opening pages of the New Testament. And this is the very 
opening pages. This is the start. This genealogy is the first thing we read in the New Testament. And people have a hard time getting through it. Because it's a lot of, well, this person begat that person. And you're like, why? Because I'm thinking about, about the fourth begat, your eyes are starting to glaze over. And you're like, is he done yet? Yeah, I get it. It's a big family. Let's get on with it. But there is an amazing reason. And there is no wasted scripture. There's not a scripture in God's word. There's not a sentence in God's word that does not have divine power and purpose and intent for being there. And this is no different. Because that genealogy that I just read to you, that the gospel writers begin with, is profoundly theological, and it is filled with grace. Now, if you and I had done this, think about your families for a little bit. If your family's here, do not look at them. Do not say, yeah, you're one of them. Because there's some people in your family you keep off the list, right? Everybody's got a cousin Eddie pops up around Christmas time, right? Okay. All right. If you don't know who that cousin Eddie is, it might be you. But we still love you. Everybody's got people on their list. They're like, I'm going to keep him off the list. I don't want to introduce. Look, <laughs> we're going to record this. This will be public knowledge. They won't listen to it. But, you know, when I started dating Kim, my mom was like, I'd like you to bring her to the, our family reunion. And I said, No. I have not sealed the deal yet, Mom. No, I do not want her to think this might be hereditary. We all have that, right? That's why this is in there. We would have kept people off the list. Let's look at this list for a minute. That's my wife, probably. Ask me why I'm talking bad about my family. Um, This list... It's got a lot of great names, a lot of names that you know. Let's look at them. Abraham, Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Abraham had a tendency to lie and not trust God. Jacob, Abraham's son, Jacob's name literally means cheater. Jacob had a son named Judah. Everybody, you might remember, you might recognize that, that Jesus, wasn't Jesus called the line of Judah? Judah's got to be a pretty upright guy, right? Think Judah's a great saint. Think again, Judah and his brothers tried to sell their brother Joseph and sold their brother Joseph into slavery. Only after they decided not to kill him. Later on, Judah is seduced by his daughter-in-law, who'd been married to two of his sons already, who weren't very good people to begin with themselves. Her name was Tamar. She's on the list. Tamar had a child with Judah, and that child is part of the line of Christ's earthly lineage. Then we get to David, and you're like, well, David, everybody knows David. King David is David's a man after God's own heart. David saw Bathsheba taking a bath from his balcony, proceeded to lure her into an adulterous affair. And when we read about it here, we kind of leave those those. details out but David had Uriah Bathsheba's husband murdered because he had gotten Uriah's wife Bathsheba pregnant David was a murderer and an adulterer it's a reason why the names are in this list Rahab was a prostitute Ruth was an immigrant 
She wasn't even Jewish. Manasseh. Manasseh sacrificed his own son to the god Baal by throwing him into a fire and watched him consumed by the flames. Manasseh the king consulted mediums and witches as to which way he should go. It is said that Manasseh said shed so much innocent blood that in 2 Kings chapter 21 he is called a terror to his people. But he's on the list. God used even Manasseh in leading history to Christ. Look, when you gather in whatever size number of people or through Zoom or whatever, next time you get with all your family, and you have that moment where you're like, man, my family is dysfunctional. Child, you ain't even close to what Jesus had in his family tree. This is a dysfunctional family tree. And the beauty of it is, is that God chose flawed humans to lead up to Christ. Sinners among sinners. People that were versed in murder or brutalizing terror, adultery, incest, prostitution, false worship, cheats, and liars. So why would God use these people? Because I wouldn't want that because that's just not a good look, is it? That's just not a good image. If I was God which I'm not, and I know some of you have thought from time to time that I think that I am. I'm not. But if I was him, I would start from scratch. I, didn't, I would want nothing to taint this, nothing to influence it. This is pure. Let's just call it up from dust. It's me, fully God, fully man. Don't have anything messed up. That's how I would do it, but that's not how he did it. And I think the reason that God used the people that we see in this and used their stories Stories that didn't turn out the way they planned. Nobody grows up saying today, David did not slay Goliath. And then the next day said, and someday I will kill another man's wife because I got her pregnant. Nobody says that. But life has a tendency to turn quickly. Why did God use these people? I think one of the reasons is because he knew we'd be warriors. He knew we would think that, wow, there's no way that I can get this grace that that they talk about. There's no way that that Jesus can love me the way they talk about. I can't have what Cynthia has. I can't have what Matt has. I can't have this because I've done some stuff. Man, if you knew my story, you look back a couple years and then there's no way. We worry that maybe God isn't in control like he says he is he but God wants to show us that he is in control and the proof that he is in control is in the last name of this dysfunctional dust dumpster fire of a genealogy the last name is Jesus period this is where we end up verse 16 from chapter 1 and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary And Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. And then there's this little dot right after Messiah that means period. With all the junk and all the drama and all the Jerry Springer stuff that went on before we got to Joseph and Mary was irrelevant because God moved through all of that to bring us to the point where the word became flesh and dwelled among us. God's saying, see, I did it, just like I said I would. 
Even with the dark days, even in the stuff that you did not see coming, even in the stuff that's not your fault, and even the stuff that is your fault, I still got it done because I said I was going to. His plan succeeded using flawed people. Whether it was a famine in Egypt, or 400 years of slavery, or 40 years of wilderness wandering around because of we being too stubborn, or the Babylonian exile, or murderers, or adulterers, or prostitutes, or cheaters, or idolaters, or liars. All of these are occupying the lineage of God's Son. Because he's saying, even that, even your story, can't stop my grace. Oh, that's it. That's the line right there. You don't hear anything else? Hear that. You don't preach anything else? Preach that. You want to go tell it on the mountain? Tell that. Your story, your mistakes, your sinfulness, your disobedience, your hurts, your brokenness, whatever you want to be, misfit of island toys person, whatever it is, you can't stop his grace. I want to lock two truths together for you here. The first one's this. That God works even through sinners. Even through the midst of darkness, of evil. And the other thing is God is never taken off guard or surprised, and he is intentional. God, in an orderly plan, moved throughout the Old Testament history to bring us to the birth of Christ. And that's where it leaves us as we stumble out of this year. And <laughs> oh, I, I, I love to be in the place of the Christmas season where everything is going as planned and I am ready and prepared and there is no rushing or worrying or wandering around. I love those times. My problem is in 53 Christmases, I have never experienced that, but I think it would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, we run into Christmas just holding on. And this year, this year, man, we're just, we're sliding into the end of the year just going, just let me get one more day down. I'm tired. You're tired. We are tired. And here's the thing that we know, even beyond this year, our stories haven't turned out exactly as we had planned. We've all made choices that have disqualified us from God's presence and grace if we played by the rules. We've all had people that have hurt us Circumstances that have stopped us in our tracks. But that was yesterday. Right now, I want you to realize this is Christmas. And all of the promise that that means. Look, I am deeply grateful that Scripture isn't a collection of sanitized stories of holy people that have got their act together because if it was, I'd look at it and go like, well, that leaves me out. I'm done. There's no way I could attain that. I am so blessed and grateful that it is a collection of stories of ordinary, broken people loved by God and made holy through a righteousness that is outside of themselves that it wasn't anything that we did, 
or didn't do, that we are made righteous by a holy and faithful God who refused to let us not be in his presence. That doesn't mean that the, the years haven't been hard on us. It doesn't mean that our hearts haven't been broken. That doesn't mean that we've made mistakes that have pushed us back on our journey. But what I want us to hear is that just because it's hard doesn't mean that God's not in it. Just because it hurts doesn't mean that God can't use it. And just because you feel all alone doesn't mean that God's not working. And just because others are against you, it doesn't mean that God's not for you. That's what the story of Christmas tells us. With all of the drama and the silliness and the sinfulness and the darkness that is in that lineage, it was not going to stop Emmanuel, God with us. And that word Emmanuel, that name, that is not just a translation of a Hebrew name. That is a translation of the living, loving purpose of God. God is God to be with his creation, to love his children. That is his purpose. And that is why he became flesh and dwelt among us. And that is why he wrote the story, to let it have the twists and the turns and the dark angles so that we would know that there was nothing, nothing that could separate us from the love of God. His purpose is to be present in and among his creation. And so the light came into the world and the darkness had no chance. Because God does not abandon that which he makes. He becomes one with us so that we may become one with him. Do I have no idea what 2021 looks like? Do you? Do you? Yeah, that old saying, we just walking around waiting for the other shoe to drop. You feel that way? <laughs> then you're better off than me. I don't even know where the shoes are anymore. I have no idea. But I know this. If you want to know what the future looks like, I think it's relatively easy. It looks like God being as faithful as he's always been. It looks like God still being God. It looks like God still wanting to be in the presence of his children and his children to be in the presence of him. It still looks like Christmas. It still looks like Emmanuel, God with us. And I think one of the mistakes that we make and how we appeal to those that may not know Christ yet is we make a really big deal about the mistakes that they've made and their sinfulness. Oftentimes forgetting that we've made the same kind of mistakes, but we, we just sound like, like, repent, turn from sin. And it sounds so easy, right? And it's just, you know what? Hey, I don't mean to burst your bubble there, cupcake, but it's not working, is it? 
What if at the end of history, what if at the end of all this, the question that God asks us is not whether we abstain from sin. What if the question is, did you enter into the joy that I made available to you through Christ? So yeah, on that Christmas morning when Mr. Longfellow wrote his poem, he looked back. He looked back to a time when it didn't seem like the bells were ringing. He looked back at a time when everything seemed to be going wrong. The diagnosis were always dire. The situation was always black. But he only did it for one stanza. Because immediately following that, he writes this. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. I think it's so cute that people are talking about canceling Christmas. be like yay are you going to cancel a tornado when it comes across the plains you're just going to stand out there and go there shall be no tornadoes today and the sad thing about this and the culture is is that we think that Christmas is gatherings and dinners and gifts those are wonderful things that's not all of Christmas Christmas is the moment where holiness stepped into humanity and said, you will never be alone regardless of what it looks like out there. Christmas is, here is your hope. Christmas is, this world may end and this my life may shudder down, but you have with me eternal life. This is what, you're not going to stop that. Jesus' genealogy reminds us that God's plans are bigger than any mess you have created. His plans are bigger than any mess that you've been dealt in life. I love the words of Matthew 1, 1 through 16 and 17. Because it is a mess. But I want you to leave today realizing that from all that mess, 